Steelers break huddle. Second and nine at the 37-yard line. Reverse to Swan, a flea flicker, and it's Bradshaw to Cunningham. Touchdown! And they're shaking Three Rivers Stadium right off its foundation. Minus three with Dave Damashek and Jeff Schwartz. Do it, fellas. Hi, and hello, sports fans. Welcome to Minus 3, presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. Tune in all season long for exclusive offers and odds boosts. FanDuel, more ways to win. And, of course, the way you do it here, FanDuel.com slash Minus 3. And follow us, why don't you, at Minus 3 Pod on Twitter. Let's jump into it with my main man down there in Carolina. What's the poop, Jeff Shorts? Week six of the season, we had a, a, a what Tuesday night football game. That was a little weird, a little weird for the senses. We have no game on Thursday, a little, little odd. I'm thrown off by the schedule, but nonetheless, happy to be here. Two minute football games this week, lots of action. We got some some great games this weekend, Dave. Like really great weekends, uh, great games. I am pumped to be here. They're juicy. And, you know, let's start right there. Uh, but before we jump into to everything else, we got the game picks coming up for you. Also, from around the NFL podcast, the, uh, the grand hit, uh, Mark Sessler, who happens to be a Cleveland Browns fan, a game of great significance for Cleveland Browns and their fans, a game of some significance for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And their fans, boy, this feels like a Super Bowl or something if you're hearing the noise coming out of Cleveland. We're going to break that one down for you with Mark Sessler, uh, a gentleman, and like I say, a gigantic Browns fan. So we'll chop that up, and Schwartz and I are going to pick that one and give you our uh, our boosted bet of the week. It will not involve that one, though. It will involve a, uh, a division rival of at least the Steelers and I guess nominally of the, uh, of the Cleveland Browns. We'll give you that in just a little bit. But first, Schwartz, let's talk about the phenomenon of how an NFL season flows. Do you buy the idea that to this point in the year that offense wins the day? Because there are a lot of people who who have defense prominent teams. People are, let's say, for instance, Pittsburgh Steelers fans. The premise of this season was supposed to be Minka Fitzpatrick and TJ Watt and so on dominating everybody so far it hasn't been exactly that but my my thought is that if you look over the course of whatever the last 20 years or so offenses win the first chunk of the season but then defenses rise up as the as the season progresses true or false um I think it's true because in the playoffs we see obviously that that having a good defense is very important. And look at the Chiefs last year. Defense not very good the first 10 games. And then all of a sudden it clicked about the bye week. And the reason why they won the Super Bowl was their defense, right? It wasn't like their offense didn't play well for three quarters. Defense kept them in the game just kind of long enough. And then remember the second half, Chris Jones knocked down a bunch of passes. Right. Mike, Mike Pinnell hit uh, uh, Garoppolo, the force interception. That was more in the first half. But that defense is the reason why they stayed in that game long enough for their offense to come back and win. I think what we're seeing now, Dave, is, is a couple things. One, obviously, is tackling is really bad. And tackling is really bad because there's been no practice. And, and that was one of the questions I had is, how bad was tackling going to be? And it's very clear it's not very good. But I think a bigger picture reason why offense is doing so well right now 
and there's a lot of examples for this. Buffalo, Tennessee come to mind, um, is, is coordinators are now saying, look, I'm going to design my offense around my quarterback. For so many years, quarter, coordinators did not do this, right? They forced mm -hmm. the quarterback to learn their offense. And we're not seeing that anymore, right? We're not seeing that. We're seeing coaches are open-minded and they're tailing their offense to Josh Allen. They're tailing their offense to Ryan Tannehill. Even looking Green Bay, Green Bay, Tampa, big game this weekend. A lot of play-action pass. A lot of a lot of ways to set Aaron Rodgers up for success, right? We know Andy Reid, for a long time, ran a, a short passing game. West Coast offense took a shot here and there. Now Pat Mahomes is in there. Okay, we'll take more shots now, right? The, the bases are still there, but you design it to to who your to who your quarterback is. I think we're seeing that Dave happen a lot more, and it's helping these offenses take off and until defenses adjust which is basically just say hey screw the run we're going to play too high all the time we're not going to get beat deep offense will just keep scoring points on these play action passes but i also think um yeah and i, I guess kind of the goofus and gallant of nfl coaches right now andy reed is the gallant one I guess, ironically, with his uh, steamed up mask on. And then there's Adam Gase, and it describes exactly what you're talking about. Andy Reid gets hyper-specific talent to build around and and knows how to highlight and, and take advantage of um, the specific skill set of his players, yeah. whereas Adam Gase is trying to jam his offensive philosophy on whoever he has in the building. Ergo, we now have Levy and Bell out on the street at the time of this recording. And by the way, as far as defense goes, to me, the quintessential, the personification of NFL defender in the 21st century is uh, is the honey badger. What yeah. it's all about, as you say, keep it all in front of you. The don't get beat deep. <clears throat> Extend the other teams. <clears throat> I hope I don't have the COVID. Uh-oh. I don't think, wait, do I have the 19? I, I'm testing negative. Um, I'm testing, I'm self-testing right now. Okay. Um, I think that, uh, that that's what it's all about. Make the other offense, take extra snaps, and that leads to the potential for turnovers. Yeah. Um, but And so, right, that's how you're going to beat the Chiefs, too, is not let, uh, let Cheetah throw the peace sign up at you as he yeah. runs past you. Um, now, the, the rumors are, and, you know, who will see what happens, and, and hopefully um, we don't have resolution to blow up this conversation. Levy and Bell out on the street. Now, it's not a small matter. Is Levy and Bell still even good? We don't, we don't know exactly what he is, but let's assume that he's anything close to what he was at his very best in the late stages of Pittsburgh. I think <clears throat> Kansas City is, is an ideal spot for him, but I know you disagree. Well, no, I don't disagree that it's not an ideal spot if you're just trying to win football games, right? If you're if you're if your goal is to kind of rebuild your image and then win football games, there's probably no place better than than Kansas City. But the issue is that everyone keeps saying, well, fit, fit, fit. He doesn't really fit what the Chiefs do, right? So he wants to be a a primary role running back. Well, he's not getting that in Kansas City, right? Because Clyde Edwards Hilaire, who they draft in the first round, is their primary running back. So they're going to take a first-round draft pick who has a bunch of touches this year, who's helping the offense, and just say, hey, man, you're not going to play as much anymore. We're going to put Le'Veon Bell in there, who hasn't really played very much in the last year and a half, hasn't looked very good. We're just going to take that away from our running back, who is really good right now. In the run game specifically, Dave, you watched him play for years. What is What has the Steelers' offensive line been for years? They have been big, 
They've been physical and they have moved people off the ball in a vertical manner up the field. And Le'Veon Bell is hid behind that offensive line, being very patient, and then boom, he attacks, right? It's, it's a gap run scheme for the Steelers for so many years. They don't do that so much anymore with, with, without him there, and they have a different offensive line now. The Chiefs are not that offensive line, guys. They're not at all. They're not at all, and they're missing KO now, left guard. They're not as good inside as, as the Steelers were. And so I just don't see the, the, the scheme fit as far as running the ball with Le'Veon Bell in Kansas City. Should the Chiefs add him? Heck yeah, they should. You can never have too many talented players. But the idea that he's going there for quote-unquote scheme fit is not of this reality. I get you, but the only thing I'll say about it is Le'Veon Bell, I, I get it that CEH is Brian Westbrook, um, you know, 2.0. But Le'Veon Bell is like a better version of Shady McCoy, a, you know, a larger skill set, more rugged runner. But, you know, that kind of patient style and um, and all of that. Again, I, I get you on, on um, the offensive line scheme fit and Levy and Bell isn't perfect there. But uh, the the bigger picture is, as you say, here's Levy and Bell chip on the shoulder guy three years ago, overused by the Steelers. You guys are running me into the ground for your own glory and I'm not getting paid for it. So he forces his way out of as good a spot as you could be in, in the NFL goes up to New York and now he's underused. He's got a chip on his shoulder. Basically. I think now trying to get into, into somebody who has uh, that kind of a brain, um, chip on the shoulder kind of thing. Now he'll go to KC because this is ideal. He does not need 25 touches the rest of the season. What he needs is to play relief, play backup to CEH, look good on a team that probably is going to go to the Super Bowl. Maybe he gets a Lombardi. He comes out smelling like a rose in 2021 and gets another big contract out of it. Right. You know, for his career and what he wants, you're exactly right. This is the way to go, right? The way to go is to is to say, Look, I'm going to rehabilitate my image. I'm going to a place in Kansas City to do that. It's a great spot for me. And I agree with that. I agree with all of that. I just disagree with people saying the scheme fit. Like, it's, oh, it's a Yeah, I hear you. Fit. Right, right, right. Like, guy, people say this all the time. Just because Andy Reid, Andy Reid's a fabulous offensive coach. Just because they use Claude Edwards Hilaire in a certain way does not mean Le'Veon Bell just assumes that role, right? I just, it's so interesting how um, people that should know better just continually blab away on stuff they have no idea about. Well, it's funny. I don't know if that's directed at me. No, but um, it's funny with with Levy and Bell. And at some point, we got to tell the full story. We'll get Maurice Jones-Drew on here, my guy Mark Cabali in Pittsburgh, um, who's writing for The Athletic. But two-plus years ago, those two guys were as plugged into it. Maurice shares the, the same agent as Levy and Bell. So he knew week for week exactly what the thought process was. And it just Bell was raw about the Steelers overusing him in the in January of 2017 of the 27 season. And in the Foxborough game, when he had the groin injury and all that, that was right in the midst of him feeling like I'm being abused by the Steelers. You guys aren't taking care of me long term. The upshot is, though, that if they would have paid attention, the Steelers pay out their contracts, whether it's guaranteed money or not. The Steelers have a habit of doing that. The Jets and most teams don't. Um, Levy and Bell kind of, um, you know, because of the chip on his shoulder, kind of forced himself out of a situation. If he would have just signed there, he would have been on a contender still. He would have made more money than he than he right. did with the Jets. It really got sideways. But we'll get in depth on, on everything that happened there. Let's jump into it uh, to the here and now, shall we, Schwartz, and Let's make some it. picks. And then we'll get Mark uh, Sessler in here to talk some Browns. But uh, quickly, let me get your thoughts 
on NCAA football here. And uh, we try to keep our focus on, uh, on on the region of the Northeast. We try to pick all the games in in uh, the, the New York, New Jersey tri-state for you. And, uh, and we try to highlight what Philadelphia is doing and Pittsburgh and so on and so forth. So let's start there. The Pittsburgh Panthers, the Pitt Panthers, started out so good. The defense looked good. Now, plus 13 and a half going down to the U., um, Miami not ready for prime time, it would yeah. appear, but um, according to FanDuel, more than ready for the visiting Pitt Panthers. Well, you know, I'm I'm just curious about <laughs> Miami's mental state after getting their their <laughs> playing poorly against against Miami. Uh, no, it's me against Clemson. Sorry, um, it was bad. It was, I, and I bet Miami that game. I thought they would have some semblance of of um, of any of something, and and so. The question becomes, Dave, is can Pitt stop their offense, which I'm not sure they can. And I think Miami rebounds in a big way this weekend. Um, you know, they're they're veteran at quarterback, which is important. You know, Derek King, obviously. Um, and I, they can still play defense, in my opinion. They just ran into a Clemson team that was really good. I would take I'd take Miami here. Here's the thing with uh, with this era of pit team. What they do is they they make you sick in the gut if you're at all invested in them emotionally, and then they take care of teams. They they beat they have at least one. Watch watch them beat Notre Dame coming up. Or the, but this is another one to circle. This is what they do. This is what's so vexing about them is that uh, that they lose to teams they shouldn't, and then somehow they make you scratch their head your head by uh, by beating somebody that they have no business playing with. Um, the other one I want to get to in college football. And specifically with Nick Saban now coming down with the 19 Um, Georgia plus four and a half. How much does that? I mean, it would seem to me like, well, this is gargantuan. But in the 21st century, is there a way for him to be relevant play to play or series to series? What can Nick Saban do to impact this game? Nothing. I mean, let's see. Nothing. A, he can't uh, No, Like, you don't think he can be like on. I mean, I can't do it. He wanted to coach a game on Zoom. Oh, no. he's not allowed to. No. Oh, I thought he. Oh, oh, no. oh. I'm sorry. I missed it. He wasn't no, he allowed. Should, no, to. he should. No, he's got to be like on a crane above the stadium in a bubble, or like they have to. You have to create another press box at Brian Denny Stadium from a coach this game. Um, you know, I don't know how much it matters not having Saban there on actual game day because on game day he's not calling plays. Right, he's not calling the defense. He's not calling the offense. He's the you know quote unquote game manager of a head coach, and obviously. He's there for motivation and and talking to refs and making decisions like that. Um, Sark is taking over, which uh, um, so he's still part of the game plan to get them ready to play Georgia this weekend. Um, Think about Georgia. Georgia's really good on defense, um, uh, but offensively they're still like eh, like eh, like hit or miss, right? They're forty second according to um, SP plus. So I like using Bill Conley stats there, Um, but defensively they're first. I think it's Alabama is on offense dude they're rolling they're rolling right now on offense i would lean alabama here at home um i know georgia has has a great defense but offensively i just i don't really buy them right now especially going on the road Uh, i'm trying to pull up my favorite stat of all time by the way this is the most demeaning thing i've ever heard uh to describe a defense uh it was from their game this weekend against Old Miss, uh, you know, where they put up, what, 65 points, I think, in that game. Um, and it was just a complete slaughtering of Lane Kiffin's uh, defense. Uh, basically, here it is right here. Um, Old Miss's defense prevented 41 total yards the entire game. As in, on 11 <laughs> drives, they allowed nine touchdowns, 
forced a punt at the 40 and a fumble at the one. If Alabama had gained every possible yard, they would have gained 764 yards, but instead they gained 723. <laughs> that is an insane stat. I'd love to see that put up next to a, a bunch of other games to see how, because that sounds to my ear uh, positively loco. Um, I, I will say too, no, no better 21st century sign or that that's the century we're in than looking at yet another Alabama QB who can sling it. That oh, Mac Jones cool. kid, man, he's boy. Doesn't he seem like a, a pro QB waiting to happen? Yes. It's what I always say. Full QB saturation, pro football teams. Dwayne Haskins now not showing up in the building even. No matter. Dwayne Haskins is going to be available um, dirt cheap for whoever wants him. He's a talented guy. I like Dwayne Haskins. I'd be fine if I heard he became the backup of my favorite team. Um, and in the meantime, there's guy, there are guys like Mac Jones all over the end, oh, yeah. all over college football. Everybody's on the way. So if you if what you lack as a pro football team, I, I wouldn't want to be the Colts right now because they got a mess on their hands with the uh, old man Rivers and what to do about that. But for the most part, the state of QB and in pro football is good. Before we get to the pro football action. Hey, hey, uh, Jeff and uh, Eddie Spaghetti, can I ask you guys a question? Yes. Sure thing. Did you guys see that Turner and FanDuel announced the partnership for NBA on TV? I did. Well, let me know. I just A lot of partnerships have been announced in sports betting, but this one has the potential of being really great. Why? FanDuel's tastefully trying to merge sports betting and live sports content on a national scale to greatly enhance users' basketball watching experience. Starting in 2020, I've been really impressed with how FanDuel's providing value to basketball telecasts, and I'm excited to see how the partnership unfolds in the years to come. So thank you, FanDuel, for this gambling gift. We, you know, with FanDuel and the Extra Points Network, of course, you can listen to the flagship show with Cousin Sal and Charlotte Wilder. Um, We we love uh, the partnership, and thank you most of all for the same-game parlays throughout the NFL season. FanDuel is going to refund the first same-game parlay you lose on any NFL game each week up to $10. What that means is you can bet a different parlay risk-free any NF- every NFL week all season long. They're pretty simple. All you have to do is combine multiple bets from the same game into a single parlay. This way, the payouts are even greater when you win. So... You can do it with Monday Night Football, not this week, but next week, Thursday Night Football, Sunday games, great to do with your favorite local football team. Wink, wink, uh, Pittsburgh Steelers. You have the the Cleveland Brownies coming to town. No better time to do it. Um, I'll give you my picks. If you like them, bet those ones. If you want to go your own way, you're your own person. I'm not going to begrudge you that. You'll get 10 bucks back if we don't win. We can do it all season long. Um, by the way, FanDuel is the only sportsbook app where you can play these same game parlays. I do it in a uh, in a cute voice, but I'm serious as a heart attack that these are uh, that this is a, a great bet and exclusive to FanDuel. The same game parlays. So listen up. If you don't already have an account, sign up with the promo code FanDuel.com slash minus three. That's minus the word, the number three. So they know I sent you. And if you already have an account, you're even better off because you're ready to roll. All right, let's get into it then, um, Schwartz. Uh, you know what? In fact, let's promote the highlight game. Uh, well, we have two. First of all, Schwartz, you let it let it go here. We're going to dig in on Brown Steelers in a second with our guy, Mark Susser. But first, 
unveil it the the uh boosted bet of the week here on minus three yeah, I'm gonna go with the Ravens here, minus seven and a half. We're going from uh, from uh, plus one hundred to plus one twenty. Uh, Fanduel.com slash minus three. Um, I just think the Eagles are not any good. Um, and again, they showed last weekend that that was the best offensive output they might have had all season, and they still didn't cover that game. Um, they're just they're so beat up right now, um, and they're just not playing decent football. And the Ravens, I know the Lamar is a little banged up. He didn't rush a lot last week, and they looked a little sloppy, but this is a pretty big game for them. I, th- I think they can sense that. Uh, I think that, that people understand, at least in the NFL, the Eagles aren't playing very well, but you kind of have to take them seriously because – Carson Wentz can play good, and Doug Peterson is respected in the NFL. I think the Ravens just come in there and steamroll. Like, who, who's going to stop their rushing attack on the on the Eagles? Like, who's going to do any of that? And they're going to blitz the heck out of Wentz the entire game, play man coverage, and who's going to beat and them deep? Nobody. So um, I think they're going to just eat the Eagles alive. So give me the Ravens here, minus seven and a half. I agree with you, and just uh, uh, yeah, we're we're uh, both on this one um, on the Ravens side of things, and yeah, I mean it's exactly right. What what happens is. We, you, your eye b- begins to attribute um, certain qualities, good or bad, based on the logo on the helmet. And we now, because of Nick Foles and Doug Peterson lifting up a Lombardi trophy, we continue to regard them as a scary team. But you're exactly right. And then last year, down the stretch, well, Carson Wentz was great. And who was he even throwing it to? Yeah, yeah that was a short window. I mean, the – the, the, I got to think that the Eagles, you you know better than I do, but if you're in that Eagles locker room, like they're so destroyed by injury and they're and they're and they're lousy in they're they're not playing well. The only incentive they have is that they happen to be in a bum division and they they're still in things, but still they got to look around and be like, "Man, we can't catch a break this year and we still um, you know, we still have uh, 10ish games left to go here." And I I I got to think that they're a little deflated. The Ravens, meantime, are, are getting back into a role. And I think uh, so too. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. Carson Wentz is talk about a QB situation that's going to be interesting after this season. You know, if, if they're going to continue to embrace him there, I think so. I, I think they're they they've got to. They're kind of pot committed, but uh, we'll see there. Anyway, all right. Let's uh, let's talk about the so get that one. Steelers fans, if you want to jump in on that one and hate bet it, I encourage you to do it. Eagles fans, if you disagree um, and you want to ride with uh, with um, with your hometown team, go ahead and do it. Either way, FanDuel.com slash minus three. Get it. And uh, and now let's get to our guy to preview the Cleveland Browns coming to Pittsburgh. Here's Royals on the punt. It's the kick away. Well, see, never call me uh, anything other than a generous soul because here he is, everybody. One of the great wordsmiths in this business. Nay, one of the great wordsmiths of the 21st century. A galactic brain that transcends standard banalities. He's a must listen on the Around the NFL podcast. You already know that. And of course, for the purposes of this conversation, he serves as a resident Cleveland Browns fan. He's our pal. He's Mark Sessler. What's the poop, fella? I got to tell you, I wa- that watching that clip 
And our friend Lewis Riddick is in that clip. I wouldn't say where I'm friends with him, but I am aware of him and he seems like a, a nice guy. Um, he, he plays special teams with Metcalf during those years, but that was 1993 and that Browns team faded away after a strong start. But I was going to one of three colleges that I went to, Ithaca College, to do their radio thing. And I, it was my first ever night on radio. And I was with a much more veteran um, co-host and we were going to do describe this Browns game as breaking news and the minute he was supposed to start speaking, he literally fell into a coughing fit, lost his voice, had to unplug his mic and leave the room. And I was left as like a 19-year-old half-wit attempting to describe one of the greater NFL games. And I don't even know what happened with that broadcast, but it was like that memory is – that game is still seared in my memory because it's one of the few – times that Browns fans in the last couple of decades have felt like we dropped a hammer. Yeah. Versus having got, one hit on us. Well, we'll get to that. I do want to talk to you about the, the notion of whether or not this is a rivalry or exactly how we should describe it, but I don't want to get into ugliness as I just proved I'm a man of peace, not one here to, to create further division in, in, in our broken society here. I want to open. In fact, and by, by the way, looking at that clip and remembering Eric Metcalf running that punt return in against the Pittsburgh Steelers in old Cleveland Stadium, you know, it was one of the great idiosyncrasies of that joint was the little hill right oh. next to the right corner of the one end zone. And so if a guy was running full speed into it, he would go or like if Lynn Swan caught a touchdown pass into the corner of that end zone running full speed, he had to quickly put the brakes on <laughs> or, or else he would fall into the dog pound and be eaten alive by the nasty denizens in there. The best thing that happened in that game, do you remember the Don Strock Browns Oilers snow game? where it yeah. ended with, right, they were down 23-7, to seven, came back, and Webster Slaughter catches the ball in a, in a blizzard. But early in that game, there was about a 20-minute delay, and I believe the Dolphins and Steelers, Steelers are playing in a rain-soaked game themselves in Week 16 back then in 1988. And the Browns game, though, got delayed because one of the Oilers players ran up that little hill and knocked out a cameraman who was literally just left knocked out on the ground and they had to surround him with staff. And I, I was going to middle school at the time and had this, um, I knew this girl who was from Ohio and she actually, her family was friends with that cameraman and he was not the same after that for some time. I mean, that hill I think got removed by NFL <laughs> regulations. So <laughs> sometimes we can all laugh about it now. You know, what's weird though, for real, how I, it's amazing. It never got sideways. The idea that like, Yes, Cleveland Browns fans, by all means, bring in dog food, hardened dog <laughs> food, and throw it at, at, at other human beings. That right. that never resulted in any lawsuits or severe assault charges or anything else. Uh, lucky, lucky. First, who says uh, the people of Cleveland um, don't get some good luck once in a while? No, and they, they threw batteries at John Elway. That was one of his least favorite NFL memories. I mean, I think the thing is you're allowed to throw dog food a 13% of the crowd's going to think we're going to throw larger, heavy, heavier, sharper objects. Yeah, that's right. It's funny too. Now that you, now they always went with the dog bone kind of things, which would hurt more, but also in, in, in assuming severe injury isn't sustained. I'm surprised nobody ever tried the wet dog food. Cause I would, <laughs> if I were in the midst of a game, if that hit me in the wrong place, like on the cheek or if it went down the front of my jersey, oh. I wouldn't be right the rest of the ball game. I'd be a mess. That's the stink. smell of that stuff, right. right? Just like all over your body. I mean, it's, it's, it, it would be next to death. I would not be focused on the third quarter. Now, 
in an attempt to further extend the olive branch, I've prepared three things. I, I thought about them um, for 24 hours to see if I could say three nice things about um, the Cleveland Browns. So okay. here we go. One is you mentioned John Elway. I legitimately in the moment felt bad. And to this day, I feel bad for Cleveland Browns fans for what happened at the hands of number seven, John Elway and the Denver Broncos in back-to-back AFC title games. I, I would say, Red Sox fans might disagree. Um, you know, uh, Jets fans have had their ups and downs over the years. I don't know that there's been a more painful 366-ish days for a fan base than than there was there. That was that was that was just a horrible, horrible thing. And the completion of the circle that Ernest Biner is about to run it in in mile high the year after Elway comes into Cleveland Stadium and knocks off the Browns, who, by the way, should still be playing that game because Rich Carlos kicked the ball over the upright in overtime. He didn't didn't kick it through the upright. It went over the upright. Anyhow, and by the way, it also makes a point that I've long made. They should really – make the the guess take away the guesswork from the octogenarian officials trying to assess whether or not that ball went through the uprights or just <laughs> barely would have hit the upright and just complete the square rectangle and box that thing now it goes right through kicking is I, too uh, easy these that days. that also turns field goals into a a high octane proposition the top the but they need they've always needed to do that i've heard you mention that theory before and i in fact mentioned it to one of my children during a game and it made complete sense to the newest fan that i know and it Mm. makes sense to us so i mean please go forward with these league brains league heavies children are my demo as you know they're the ones uh, to whom i relate and vice versa um yeah i mean of course if you would do and by, uh, the the benefit would be mutual for you and me because we neither one of us is rooting for the baltimore ravens and of course anyone who pays <laughs> any attention to the division knows that the reason that the ravens are relevant at all is because they have a kicker who never misses take that guy out and give a league average kicker to the bald birdies and hey, Eight and eight at best, perennially. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's like oh, that's great. You pay in winning games with right. a, a kicker. That's your difference. It's it's absurd. And oh, oh, that's great. You kicked. It would have been good from seventy-one yards, but it also would have been twenty yards over the goalpost, Mister Special. So you got to get it in that little box, and suddenly the Ravens are in free fall. We can agree now, on that concept. Right now, you're relevant again, Don Cockroft or Mark Mosley wearing the Browns helmet with the with the head on kicker. We don't need it to go up into the heavens. We just need Not it to go all. through the the uh, the rectangle. All right, number two. You know how I feel about this. I think Hanford Dixon and Frank Minifield forged one of the coolest cornerback duos, maybe the coolest in pro football's history. I would say this too. They looked good. They the, did. the way they like wore them. their uniforms, I know, and I know you're you and I have like a like a bond over these classic, beautiful uniforms of old that for some reason don't get brought back. Dixon just these that was back in the day when like you'd go through like eight rolls of athletic tape, wrapping your arms up, your mm-hmm. legs, and like the shoulder pads are sleek. And you know, I remember uh, subscribing to this magazine, Browns News Illustrated. I mean, it was for true nerds back in the day, and there was an article in like the late '80s of Minifield and Dixon getting like deep into analytics. Minifield had all these computer spreadsheets that the two of them claimed was the reason that they were so technically advanced over other corners of the day. And, you know, it wasn't until about 1989 and 90 when their athletic skills started to wane that that duo started to see trouble and they'd give up like 450 yards through the air. But for a while, 
I mean, that made them so special. And you wouldn't have a dog pound without him for Dixon. I will say the Steelers famously have the terrible towel, but Hanford Dixon, not a bad consolation prize. He had a full length, apparently it was a bleach white, like beach towel. Uh, like, I mean, it was really like it would hang from his waist down to, down to his, uh, his shoestrings pretty much. It was a good look for him. Yeah, and they, I, I, I'm sure they wouldn't even allow that today. And no. it was the year where they painted their shoes orange and the league's like, well, we're going to fine you probably back like $400 back then. And like, we don't care. We're going to keep spray painting them orange. I mean, they just, you know, it was do-it-yourself world back then. Um, you mentioned the uniforms, and I'll make that my number three. I was going to mention that Cleveland is just two hours drive from Pittsburgh, so it wouldn't, so, so that makes it pretty good. But the uniforms, again, a sunny look. Glass half full about this upcoming game between us. If you want to return the favor, you're welcome to now. You would like me to say something nice about the Steelers. You could. You don't have to. But if you want to be classy, that's what you would do. I know I should be classy. Um, well, I would say this, that any team that has the bold ingenuity to have the logo on one side of their helmet, and mm-hmm. yet I still think that like 85% of NFL fans – even obsessives don't realize that that's happening with the Steelers at any one time is one of the better uh, artistic swipes I've ever seen by a pro team. I've always loved that about the Steelers. It's a really weird uh, move. I'm not, I don't know the backstory behind it, but I adore it. Well, they, they put it on just the one side there and what it ends up being is in the age of television, Monday night football and everything else. You'll remember the, um, I think they still do it on most broadcasts. The two teams that are playing on a given day, they do the two helmets facing each other, the animated (laughs) version of that. And I, I love that it plays as a middle finger to, to, um, modern pro football because it's like, Hey Steelers, can you put a logo on the other side? Because it's weird that when, get, whether it's home or away, like that sometimes it's the black. It's just a black. It looks bad on TV, and the Steelers are like, "Nope, we're nope. not doing that for you. Nope, we're keeping it the way we want. <laughs> Deal with it." I think it's tremendous. Um, now let's you know brass tacks. I don't want I don't want to take up too much of your time, and if we run out of any time, I don't want to miss out on the brass tacks here. Final score. Heinz Field, Sunday, Cleveland Browns, Pittsburgh Steelers in what amounts to a pretty important game in mid-October. Final score. I feel like this thing is going into overtime. And I, and I have uh, 34-31 because I think, that, I think that the Browns are built to be sort of a shootout type team week after week. They've given up more big plays through the air than any team in the league, but they've also created the most big plays on offense. So, you know, the Cowboys game, everyone went in thinking, oh, it's going to be a shootout. I thought, well, probably it won't be because literally every American is saying that's what's going to happen with that game. And then Mm -hmm. it just was. It's because of Cleveland's strengths and weaknesses. Uh, I, my concern, the reason I think it could be lower is that there was a quarterback switch of some point or maybe even a surprise non-showing by Baker Mayfield, who is battling rib injury, scenarios right now that concerns me he was in a lot of pain last game and i can't think of a team i'd rather have him deal with than essentially the front the defensive front of the steelers you know a week after suffering you know i think he looked like he was struggling to breathe so i you know i I, that's a concern of mine but i think this is going to be a game where both teams show up if it isn't i'm running for the hills because it will definitely be cleveland that doesn't 
And with that, you gave the score, but you didn't tell who had the, the 34 and who had the 31. Aren't I good that way? I remember the first sports article I ever wrote in middle school was this long, windy uh, thing about two teams going back and forth. And the teacher was like, I this is this is pretty well done, but you haven't told us what sport this is or who the teams were. And I thought, well, there are some elements missing. <laughs> it'll be it'll be Cleveland scoring 34. I, ha- I have to lean on optimism despite everything that is happening inside of me with this confrontation. I admire it. This is a team on the rise. And as Eddie Spaghetti can tell you, no jive. I did say last year, I said, people are getting over their skis about the Cleveland Browns in 2019. When everybody in football America is on board with an upstart team rising and making uh, making a big run here, it's a year away. And I said this offseason, this is going to be the Browns year. This is when they become relevant. And here we are now. I got a 23-20 in favor of the home team. I'm going to go with the Pittsburgh Steelers, not surprisingly. And by the way, I you mentioned overtime, and Browns at Pittsburgh reminds me of back-to-back games because I'm very old. I attended in 1978 a game that went to overtime at 9-9. The score was 9-9, <laughs> three field goals apiece, and the difference in overtime was a flea flicker. I think it went Terry Bradshaw handed it off to Rocky Blyer, who then pitched it to who handed it to Lynn Swan and then gave it back to Bradshaw, who threw a deep ball to tight end Benny Cunningham for the 15 to nine victory. And then the following season, future Cleveland Brown, but then rookie place kicker Matt Barr came on to win the game 33 to 30 for the Pittsburgh Steelers with, I think, zero time left on the clock in overtime, both in Three River Stadium, both with a with a young then young Dave Damashek, now a decrepit one. Uh, remembering <laughs> things that no one else cares about. I mean, how, how how would you have felt back then if you knew that they would beat the Browns roughly 967 more times between then and today? You know, that's I, that's they played each other in the preseason one year, too. I remember this like in the late 80s. The NFL was so messed up and the preseason was so overvalued that Cleveland and Pittsburgh were in the playing each other in August. And I remember the announcers being like, well, we've talked to these coaches and they because they play each other again in like two weeks. They've really discussed going vanilla here. It's like, you think you think you might not show who you are to your division rival in August? The snow, and you mentioned the snow game. I mean, really, the AFC Central for a window there. I mean, it's still juicy now as the AFC North, of course, with the with the Charm City uh, Purple Wears and uh, the Browns. It's it's a compelling division, certainly. And here comes Joe Burrow as well. But the AFC Central back in the day, so many great ones with the Houston Oilers coming up to play Cleveland. And you mentioned the back to back kind of games. Remember that when the Browns and Oilers played each other in Week 16, and then they turned around and played. In the wild card route. Yeah, and that yeah, and that's when the you know Cleveland was called a rat hole that Jerry Glanville. I mean, the one thing that made the AFC Central so great, and it's so ripe for like a gigantic oral history type article. I agree. Right? Because Glan like Glanville, Weish, by all accounts, Weish, one of the more generous, kind men in every every town that he coached. There was like, oh, he comes and changes the community. But he and Glanville hated each other. And you know, I think Chuck Knoll is one like one of the only guys that they couldn't all hate because it was like, this is Chuck. Noll, we respect him, but like Schottenheimer and Glanville didn't like each other. I mean, Weish, you know, and Gla- like think Shoddy and, and Weish would, but then Weish has the, you don't live in Cleveland moment, you know, happening on the 10 minute ticker on NBC. It's like, 
there was a lot of bad blood, and I love when that happens in a division. A great. I mean, that was that was the single greatest move in not just NFL coaching history, but coaching history. What it, what Weish did getting out in the mic like that to talk stuff against your in-state rival like that. It was it was it really was splendid, and I'm with you completely. And like you and I have talked about, there also is a 30 for 30 or whatever documentary on the arc of the Cleveland Browns with with Paul Brown. The owner, I mean, he forges this pro football team out of nothing and he builds them up and he's a legendary coach. And then Art Modell buys the team and then he fires Paul Brown and Paul Brown's like, wait a second. You understand the team is named after me or <laughs> the Browns. I can't be fired. And Art work, Modell's right? like, well, you're fired anyway. And then Paul Brown's mad. So he moves downstate starts up the Cincinnati Bengals, designs the uniforms to look as close as the NFL will allow him to design the uniforms to look like the Cleveland Browns. Then he brings in an offensive coordinator, a young genius named Bill Walsh. And Bill Walsh is a, is clearly an, uh, an up-and-comer, so much so pro football teams all over calling in to Paul Brown and saying, hey, can we talk to this offensive coordinator about our available coaching job? And Paul Brown said, nope. And wouldn't tell Bill Walsh that there that he was taking calls on him for years. This went on. It's the and then of course everybody knows that they moved to the Baltimore and they should rightly be the Baltimore Purples because they came from Cleveland. <laughs> they, they, they should have been allowed to rebrand themselves in the way they do. Which begs this question: Why don't Browns fans hate the Ravens more than they hate the Steelers? Shouldn't they? They took your. They are you. They're, oh, they, I, they're, no, they're, I hate. I, they, you know, I had in 1995, the Browns and Steelers in Cleveland's last season. And then and Browns fans knew the move was coming. And so did Steelers fans. And I went, took a train from Washington, D.C. because I was at a different college at that point to Pittsburgh to watch the Browns with Eric Zaire get pretty much destroyed by Pittsburgh on Monday Night Football. But the thing I'll never forget before that game, all these Steelers fans were burning art model voodoo dolls and like coming up to me in a Browns Jersey saying, we love you. My problem with Ravens fans, not all of them, but any of any adult person that became a Ravens fan in 1996, a ditched another football team. Let's start there. Secondly, it's like back when we were allowed to go to dive bars and stuff, I'd go watch these Ravens games and dive bars. And there'd be like a 21 year old who I'd be like, just by the way, you, Mr. Celebratory Ravens guy, like, you know, this was the Browns, right? And like, I, this is at, like usually hours after like a terrible Browns loss. So, and, and he'd be like, no, what? I don't know. It's like they never, they don't know the history of that split and what they, what happened with them and the Colts and their inability to transfer that to better behavior with the Browns and manners around that has always gotten me in the wrong place. Steelers fans have never been that way with Browns fans. Yes. To me. I mean, we condescend about yes. the Browns. I mean, it's fair too. <laughs> it's almost inevitable, right? You guys let Ohio natives Chuck Knoll and Ben Roethlisberger play a major hand in the, the, the state to your immediate right, um, you know, forge a dynasty. So it's no wonder that Pittsburghers might condescend a little bit to Clevelanders. Um, but yeah, and I, I, I've uh, I've said it before. I'll I'll say it again. Had John Elway, who ends up tormenting Cleveland on the gridiron um, in both the, the city of Cleveland and then later in Denver a year after um, had John Elway just signed with the Baltimore Colts, the Browns never leave Cleveland or may they maybe leave Cleveland. But if Elway stays in Baltimore, 
they are interesting enough to charm city fans that they then don't move. Ursay doesn't move them to Indianapolis. Ooh. However, Indianapolis is still interested and they have our stadium and they want an NFL team to move to them. So the Browns looking for a new home, they would have moved to Indianapolis and the Baltimore Colts would have stayed there. And those championships, presumably with Ozzie Newsom and otherwise, and Ray Lewis and all those guys, happen in Indianapolis. <laughs> and they, instead of, because Modell and whoever oversees these things, they move from Cleveland to Baltimore and they embrace um, Edgar Allan Poe uh, to the degree that they say, let's name the team after his poem, The, the Raven. And then, so if that would have happened, then... I assume the same math applies. So Modell says, well, who's the most famous author here? Well, it's Kurt Vonnegut. And uh, and his most famous book is Slaughterhouse-Five. So then they embrace the lead character of that, and they're the Indianapolis Pilgrims. I mean, it's too real that? to be ignored. I can't ignore that theory because it feels too – it feels basically just another string of reality that is probably playing out right now. And I, now I, now the difference would be Art Modell Art wouldn't have created – Two of Cleveland's AFC North rivals, uh, you know, it would they would be a team lodged in a different division. I love it, Dave. I love it because it also rem- takes away some of the trauma of my own my own childhood. The Elway thing happened when I was in middle school, and it's kind of at a time where you're thinking maybe the Earth is just evil because mm-hmm. this That's has right. happened two years in a row, and I have no experiences that are all my friends are Giants fans. And they're watching them win a Super Bowl while the drive is happening. A year later, the fumble happens. And I'm like at the point so obsessive that I know like the name of every Browns player's wives and some of their girlfriends. And it's like, you know that much about the team. And then the fumble happens. I just thought I have to go take a math test tomorrow in seventh grade. This is not this is not a fair existence. It does. It does give you a cynical view of the world that this is what I completely agree with you. And what sense has made me less cynical? (laughs) <laughs> the world keeps turning up beds, doesn't it? It's, um, it's, you know, next question for you. Do you forgive Miles Garrett for what he did and, and uh, the ensuing lies? You know, I just don't get the, the aftermath to that story because there's no, there's no evidence that that happened. And yet I can't, I can't say there's evidence that it didn't other than the fact that it's sort of, he said, he said, I, the, if I had to pick like a Browns player in history, a ranking of guys I thought would pull that helmet move, Garrett would not have been in the top 90%. <laughs> so that's a great right? point. It's, like, yes. it's, it's just like everything you had heard about him. He's a poet. He's very, like, a, a week or two before he had been at a dog park and someone had come up and like, just with, with no, with no confrontation, just attacked him. And he peacefully went on his way. And it was like, that's who you think Miles Garrett is. So when this happened, like, I was just like, it's the player and how it's happening that's blowing me away. And I, I don't know. It kind of, it was a foregone conclusion that the idea of a, they often put Brown Steelers in prime time. If the Browns are going to have one prime time game, it's against the Ravens or Steelers. So that's a lot of fun. But you knew they were not putting that game on prime time. They're going to couch this thing as deep and far away as they can on Sunday. Although Romo and Nance are on the call. I know. Yeah. An early start for them. That, that that means this is an important game. It adds, it adds gravity to things. Yes, it is. Um, and then when those guys aren't flapping their gums, they'll cut away and we'll see Baker Mayfield um, in his commercials. Is it hard to root for a team that's got Baker Mayfield as its QB? Yeah. Like, here's the thing, because, uh, you know, our friend Dan Hansis is, is on, on this, on this beat too. And I, and I find the commercials, any commercial 
but commercials in general are typically bad. There's like maybe a good one every once in a while that appeals to what I'd want that makes me laugh. But even that commercial, if it were seen 70 times a weekend, would be unappealing to me. And so as much as I actually think that Baker is a pretty good commercial actor, I I just was under the impression these commercials were not going to come back around this season. It was the last thing that they needed. And it was one of the most haunting, ugly aspects to last year. And he talked about being in silence and all this stuff. And then all these commercials come rolling out. It's like deep six, all this stuff, please. I, I, I like the, I love the player. I just com- players with commercials in general, when the play, when the team goes bad, the way these contracts should be set up, if you're on a progressive commercial, whatever, and your team by week eight is a trash fire, like those commercials, everyone gets paid, but those commercials go away. I agree because the effect ultimately is that people are like, ha ha, if you're not a Browns fan, when the Browns stink and then they're cutting away to Baker Mayfield, making a lot of money doing these uh, doing these ads. But what it what it promotes is a resentment of the guy. If you're a Browns fan, you get angry about it. Right. Well, say maybe if you weren't busy doing these ads, Baker, and you were practicing more, we'd be in better shape. I agree with you completely. There should be a proviso that allows you to withdraw the commercials if the team stinks. It's because if you feel that way, even if you don't feel the animosity or it's not your player, it's like, I don't want to see 500 Todd Gurley billboards around LA when he's ineffective and has a degenerative knee issue. It's like, it just, it spreads negative feelings. Let's kill all this advertisement stuff. You, um, you're well known as a Toronto Blue Jays diehard. Um, you love sports in general. Um, so you can speak to this. Is there a more impressive streak currently or in, in all of sport um, than Odell Beckham's career long streak of any time he's targeted with a pass of either catching the pass or turning to the nearest official and complaining that he was interfered with. It's it really, I mean, this is, this is miraculous stuff at this it's, point. It's, it's a phenomenal streak. And I mean, I, it, it's been going on for years. I don't think it can be beaten. I just don't think it can mm-hmm. be beaten. And, and he's, um, he's embraced it. And, you know, so you're going to get, he's going to get targeted 12 times a game. You're probably going to get five catches and seven, uh, you know, quick turnaround annoyances at the ref. And, mm-hmm. and here's the thing, like for the Steelers fans, like if you got Cleveland with Odell and Baker doing his little commercials, there's a lot to pick from on what might annoy you about the Browns. So imagine how special it will be if they start actually affecting Pittsburgh's season in real time versus, you know, in theory, it's going to become a rivalry again because there are some hateable characters on the Browns if you are from enemy, enemy territory, I believe. As far as that goes, then, like I mentioned, where how do you characterize this rivalry to me? And in fact, the you know, you can look up in any dictionary there. They are evenly matched foes going head to head. And presumably there's something close to a 50 50 split in wins and losses between these two rivals. I don't think that that really counts then that this counts historically as a rivalry. How say you? I feel like it's the way that you'd think about um, if you're the Steelers, like a like a high school friend way back in the day that got the best of you once or twice. And it's still it sort of sticks with you and it keeps you sharp. But there's no real that person's not really in your life anymore and they're not really affecting your day to day. They might just get in your head a little bit sometimes. I mean, there's no actual real time rivalry and there hasn't been And these little moments like I can remember 2009 in that game in Cleveland that was like negative 22 degrees and Josh Cribbs was used as a running back and a kick returner and a quarterback. And they sacked big Ben like eight times. And that was like a one in nine Browns team. And the next day, all these Steelers fans were freaking out. 
that's happened like twice. So it's really just like something ephemeral from the past got in your head and you had a bad night. But in real time, the Steelers are pretty much unaffected by the Browns over the past like 20 years. Well said. I mean, that's uh, I, I think you've characterized it perfectly. Let's not apply rivalry so lazily, everybody. No. And this is coming from Mark Sessler. Um, and remember, no matter how it goes, Sessler, things could always be worse. Whichever side comes out on the you, you, you could, as a for instance, you mentioned the Giants earlier. You could be rooting for the 2020 New York Giants. I'm not talking about anybody specifically, but I mean, you could. <laughs> That'd be rough. That would that be would rough. Be, and that I, would be horrific. Yeah, horrific. that's a wait. You know? You know, Eddie Spaghetti, if you know anybody, let them know. Last thing, Sessler, um, because uh, you're, you know, a renaissance man. You don't merely keep an eye on pro football. You have other interests. And I see the uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood poster hanging behind you. I've become fascinated with, you know, the Shecky Awards. We're coming down to the stretch here of the 2020 calendar year here. Let's give out a little quick one here. The... We do best movie I saw in a given year, and it could have come out in 1971. If I watched it, it's eligible to win the Shecky Award. Let's do best COVID movie. There have been about five or six, by my count, movies that are on nonstop. They're on a loop together. They are Castaway. They are um, Talented Mr. Ripley. Ooh. On a Time in Hollywood. Conan the Destroyer. Goodfellas, I think that's kind of it. Those movies have been on nonstop for about seven months. Which wins the award? This is uh, the Sessler branch of the Shecky Award. Well, I, I have to go with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because if it's just like, to me, I love a movie where like, yeah, I can sit down and watch the whole thing, but I'll just remember like a scene or two from it and then I'll go watch it. And then I'll go watch like documentaries about how they made that scene and interviews with Tarantino and like podcasts with Tarantino from the new Beverly cinema about why, like the reason we look up at Brad Pitt when he's burning down the I-10 is that that is how Tarantino looked at his stepfather growing up when he sat, you know, back in the day when children didn't even have seatbelts on, they just sit in the front seat. That's how it was like little things that it just sewed every little moment and that the lineage of every actor that DiCaprio's character is pulled from a, tre- a thread of like eight or nine different, mostly well-regarded, but today's by today's standards, unknown actors and just, uh, just the history behind it. But I got to say town, Mr. Ripley, I love that you included that. I don't know too many people that like that movie t- anymore. And for me, like there are some little snarky moments in that between that cast of actors that is up there with 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 the best. So I love that inclusion, but I'm going to go once upon a time. I I love the picture. Yeah, Jude Law is uh, spectacular in it. You have to both his character, he's tasked with this. Hey, you're a handsome guy, you're a handsome actor, so that's how you get the part. You have to be so charismatic that it's clear why everybody gravitates to you, but you also have to issue just enough um, nastiness that you can see why Matt Damon kind of turns on him a little bit. It's a, it, he kind of threads the needle with that. I love Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, though. I don't understand the the cynics. I think people just didn't get the point of it. Um, I think they, but to me, it's it, it's uh, you know Tarantino loves movie making and all that, and it's about the idiosyncratic who moved to Hollywood to do this kind of stuff. Everybody's a weirdo. There's no doubt. You know, people are people are oddballs. But ultimately, it's about core competency. These people 
may be um, oddballs by, you know, conventional standards, but they get it done. Whereas the hippies, it's a put on to be we're whimsical and we're we're rebellious. But ultimately, they're towing a line that the rest of society is. They're the villains in the picture. And the wackadoos from show business who everybody condescends about are the actual heroes. Fair or no? I think it's very fair. And I think that that speaks to, again, like how Tarantino feels about, you know, the much maligned Hollywood group that he sees differences in that. And it's so drenched in his childhood. And like I saw someone wrote this huge essay comparing like Brad Pitt's character to and not from today, but I'm talking like from way back, like a Catholic saint from like the. 200s or 300s before all the business like um, that he just has sort of a saintly approach to him where his ego doesn't exist Um, he's always there almost in an angelic fashion for Leonardo DiCaprio he single-handedly reversed like an angel one of the weirdest ugliest moments in Hollywood history by deep sixing the Sharon Tate scenario for what he did instead and he kind of lives alone like a little hermit in this beautiful little trailer by a drive-in movie and it's like Interesting. Pitt is sort of almost be a level beyond human from one angle in that movie. Yeah. And then uh, but and yet they still throw back to like, you know, the whispers. Did he kill his wife? Right. And then they, <laughs> then in a 30 second scene, they show like, yeah, I guess she kind of had it coming. I always forget about the killing the wife part. I think that that should be factored in there. So <laughs> it's interesting. Yes. Uh, right. Again, flawed people, but nevertheless, ultimately competent human beings and and, and distinctive figures. And uh, certainly that describes the great Mark Sessler. Um, we appreciate all the times as usual. See, I didn't. I re- How long do we go here? Spaghetti. Um, our timer says 34 ah. minutes. So I'm, I'd say, I'd say closer. It's probably close okay, to like 32. Good, Cause I wanted to go to 20, yeah. but I mean, you know, we, hey, we're good. It's a losing proposition to, to, uh, <laughs> to get Mark Sessler on here. And we just hit the, with the, the, the tip of the iceberg. We could do another couple hours here with you. Hey, best wishes fella on Sunday. I hope you come out clean on the other side, but, um, I hope the three point victory goes to the Pittsburgh Steelers, not the Cleveland Browns that in that you can understand in this in this all-time weirdo year with when up is down and wrong is right and everything else the Steelers beating the Browns would give us a sense of normalcy right <laughs> it would it's you know and I like the lack of normalcy in certain aspects of it and like let's be walking around in a bathing suit for the 800th day in a row but I think we need a little bit more <laughs> lack of normalcy How about Cleveland dropping a megaton hammer but I will say thanks for having me on uh, for all the Steelers fans on Twitter that I find to be rather annoying, you are the opposite. You're a, a gentleman. We have shared loves of old school uniform histories, and we remember the 80s and 90s. And it would be great if this did become a rivalry again. You know, if they split every year and it was it was sexier than it's been, that's good for the AFC. That's good for football. And it's good for old dudes like us that remember how it used to be. Nothing wrong with teams uh, that uh, don't wear the same uniform disliking each other. Little WWE is good for pro football. I support it. it. Enjoy it. Uh, Again, Mark Sessler around the NFL podcast with the aforementioned uh, Dan Hanzoos, the boss, Greg Rosenthal, and uh, our guy Chris Westland hanging in like a champ and continuing to churn out high-end work there and uh, best to all those fellas and uh, we'll talk to you I don't know maybe on the return trip when Pittsburgh heads over to Cleveland how about that, that would be that would be grand Mark Sessler everybody ah Sessler's great Sessler's great but real quick before we jump in on the games uh Schwartz 
as a player, do you care about rivalries or not? Uh, it depends on which rivalry. Um, and I know you care about Oregon State, but I'm talking at no, the pro no, level. No, do you guys no, talk no. about it? Do you guys talk clear. about like, oh, it's the Eagles. Oh, I'm on the Giants, and here come the Eagles. Do you care or not? To be very clear, Oregon's rival is the Washington Huskies. All right, Oregon State's a little sister. Our rival's Washington. Let's be very clear about that. Um, mm-hmm. And we beat them 13 in the last 15 years. So just make sure. Actually, the last two, like tw- the last 26 games, I think we're 18 and six against them. The last 24 games. Let's be very clear about how Oregon's dominated Washington in the, in the last 25 years. Um, so I think in the NFL, no. I, I think that there's a couple ones, and we touched on this last week, right? There's a couple of them like Ravens, Steelers. The players hate each other. Like they absolutely hate each other. Um, I do not think Steelers Browns is this way, except. This oh, they year. definitely hate that. I mean, listen, that I'm with you 100 percent about the the difference between and Sessler, as you heard, mentioned it, too. There's rivalry. And but to regard Steelers Browns as a as a historic rivalry, like what you got to win some games Correct. for it to be to, for it to be that. And so that's an important distinction. But the Miles Garrett thing definitely yes. injects hate into that's the whole talking about. In, yeah. into this. The Steelers offensive line is going to try to beat the shit out of Miles Garrett every single play. They're going to they're find a way. If I was playing this game and Miles Garrett did that to my quarterback last year in the manner he did, um, every single play. We'd have an offensive lineman hit him late every single time. Mm. It, w- it, w- it wouldn't be a penalty, but you just you you walk by and just kind of like chicken wing him or walk by and, and hip check him. Like you'd find a way every single play to make sure that he knew you were there. And he might make some plays. He's a great player. He's a great player. He might sack Big Ben. He might make some plays, but you would find a way every single play to make sure he felt you as an offensive lineman. And I'm not. I didn't mention anything dirty, right? They're, they're not going in his legs. They're not punching him in the face. Just every single play. You find a way to make sure he knows you're there. Um, and I love doing it. It was a lot of fun. We we do this to certain guys we knew we could piss off. So, because um, obviously, you know, you can piss him off, right? I mean, that was out of character for him last year, but I don't know. I mean, I think you get under. Is it though? I mean, like the, the, the thing is like, oh, he's a good guy off the field and he likes puppies and all that kind of stuff. It's like, that's not the one incident. And either way, even if it is a one off for him, he did. I, I know people are like, oh, move on, whatever. No, oh, the Steelers have moved on. They're trying to play it classy and we're not that invested. Meantime, the I mean, the city of Cleveland, this this it's pathetic. It really is pathetic. Like for miles, for oh, the city, so, it's so for the stupid. city. It's like it's ridiculous. By the way, too, the other question I have for you. But uh, let's see. Now I, I'm I'm uh, I'm getting pretty far away from the baseline here. But. The idea, I also, I, I contend, even if it's a playoff game, that we grew up, we fans grow up watching movies and hearing Newt Rockney clips and all that kind of stuff. I, I contend that the Marty Schottenheimer, Bill Cower way of like getting these guys inspirational, there's a gleam, man, and all that kind of stuff sounds great, but it gets guys overhyped in their head. And the Bill Belichick, as uninspirational as it is, just do your job is the better mentality to have. And I think that Tomlin to some degree is cribbing Belichick because the Steelers have gone in overhyped to play the Patriots sometimes. And I feel like that's, what's going to happen here with the, with the Browns. They're they're so jacked up for a mid October game. This is the most important game in Cleveland Browns history, the way they're treating it. The Steelers are like, yeah, we got to get ready for the Titans and Ravens and whoever else awaits us after this one. Um, but I, but also it, it, it does bear repeating yeah. 
that Miles Garrett, this thing about like, ah, listen, you know, he's a great player and he's a great human being. Like, okay. He also took a helmet that just so happened, again, just to revisit it, happened to hit with the soft part of the helmet onto the head of Mason Rudolph. And people can say, well, one guy is this side politically, the other side is that. And listen, what, what I, he, if he had hit him with the hard part of the helmet oh, yeah. and cracked his head, even if my, Mason Rudolph was fine, even if he was fine, if he blood. cracks his head and he's bloody and his blood streaming down the front of his shirt and everything, this would have been so much worse for Miles Garrett. He got lucky. He should. He feels Correct. victimized somehow by this. Somehow we have to hold him up as as, as uh, some sort of martyr in this. He got very lucky. It wasn't way, Correct. way, way worse than what it was. Correct. And. Look, I don't want to harp on this again. Like, I know. Just, like this for years, but like the idea that th- that his behavior, even if Rudolph said that word, which I don't think he said. I mean, I I have friends on the Steelers. Um, I, I I think about it as like if you if if Mason Rudolph had said what he was accused of saying, we would have heard it. Something like did he whisper? Right. Did he whisper in his ear? Like as he's on top of him, he's like he just whispered the word. Like no, would have yelled it at him, and everyone would have heard it. Like we're not, we can hear when guys talk. Like it's not this idea that that he just he whispered it quietly to Mason to, to Miles Garrett. Um, you know, like taking your helmet and hitting someone—it's it's a no-no. Like it's just something we don't we don't do, right? We understand that this is a physical game. It's we're insane! Gonna, it's insane behavior. Each other—it's absolutely crazy. It's absolutely insane. And you're right. If he hits him with the flush part of the helmet, he's probably suspended a year. I mean, like it's not—it's even. And so the idea that they're playing this—you know, like Cream Hunt's like I'm playing this one for Miles Garrett. <laughs> what? What are you talking about? So I, talking I think the Browns about? are in a bad mindset right now, right? Playing this for Miles Garrett and like and you know this is our Super Bowl. And Baker Mayfield's a little beat up. He's got those ribs, right? Like, I just, I don't like the Browns vibe this week. All right. Well, uh, at the time of this recording, the Steelers are minus three appropriately. That's the whole premise of the name of our show here. The home team gets standardly three points. And apparently the odds makers see these two teams as even Steven, because like I say, there the home team is at minus three total on the game is 51. I've already given you my final score, 23, 20 home team. I'm sorry. It's landing right on the number for you at the time of this recording, but that's where I see it coming down. How say you Schwartz? Um, I, I think the Steelers win this one. I'm going Steelers. Okay. You're going and, and you're going uh, substantially. You're going over the the three. Yeah, I, I would. I think it's about a touchdown. I, I, I think the Steelers. I, I mean, you know the Steelers better than I do. But last week's defensive performance did not feel like the Steelers. Um, and I think they just rebound this week. And and I think it's very important to understand the Browns are four and one, and not really because of Baker Mayfield. Um, they're four and one because of their defense forcing turnovers, running the football. Ba- Baker's done a good job not screwing things up, but he's. Last week he threw for 247 yards, the most he had all season, and that was mostly in one half, and that was mostly because Jarvis Landry and Odell make silly catches, mm-hmm. ridiculous. And now you just say, "Hey Steelers, we're just gonna play zone, man. We're gonna sit back and play zone, and we're not gonna let you make you. You won't have the circus catches. I just don't think they're gonna score enough points." I think I, I know this is hyper specific, and you know if if Dave were the quarterback of the Browns with a rib injury, um, going up against a, a nasty pass rush. It's human nature. You've seen even rugged QB struggle with this. Rib injuries are weird because as you throw your throwing motion exposes you in weird ways physically to to taking some shots. And I do think you say the Steelers might try to chip Miles Garrett a little bit. I think what they're going to try to do is is they're going to try to 
uh, you know, put a couple of shots into Baker Mayfield and and have him throw the ball a tick uh, a tick sooner than he wants to to avoid taking a, a another shot. And once he floats a pass up there, that's what Minka Fitzpatrick. A lot of people I can tell you on the banks of the three rivers are wringing their hands about like, where's Minka? I thought he was supposed to be the big difference maker. As I say, I think November, December, this is when the defense is really going to rise up and be nasty. The good news for Steelers fans in the meantime is your team is four and oh. Stop acting like you're from Boston and complaining all the time. Your team's four and oh. And if they can knock off the Browns here, they're in great shape. Uh, if my hypothesis is right, that the best days lay ahead for the 2020 Steelers because yeah. that defense is going to become more and more prominent as we Agreed. go along. So, okay, I'll All take right. the Browns there. Let's jump around here and uh, and get in a few more games. We already gave you that uh, we think the Ravens are going to beat up on uh, on the Eagles, and so take them. The Bills, what do you think of this one? This is a, a weird one. Um with KC coming to town and the Bills now plus four, and I get it, and it looks weird until you consider, obviously, the circumstances that they're human beings who played on Tuesday. Total on it is 57 and a half. How say you, Schwartz? So I think the Chiefs win, but the Bills are getting four points. feels like a lot of points. Um, mm-hmm. I, I would probably take the Bills plus four here. Uh, one thing to look out for is I really think the Chiefs are going to score a ton of points in this game. Like I would, I would find the Chiefs team total, which is not going to be posted at the time that we that we uh, that we air this, um, and look, look look to bet that right. The Chiefs haven't played well, but have still scored a lot of points this season offensively. They're second in DVOA on offense. And the Bills defense, by the way. Not very good. Not very good. Uh, they allow a ton of points. Uh, I think the Chiefs score at will in this game. But I think Buffalo's offense is going to bounce back this weekend. Uh, so I, I like the, the Bills plus the four, but the Chiefs win this game. And the Chiefs score a, a bunch of points. I'm not jumping off. I have declared the Bills, as you know, America's Team 2020. We now have a uh, campaign video out. We uh, we thank you for your support in that. Don't listen to the villain, Cousin Sal, who continues to push for the Dallas Cowboys. If you want to reside in the uh, the the latter half of the 20th century, that's your business. If you want to get on board in the 21st century and support America's team, get on board with the Buffalo Bills um, against uh, Mitchell Schwartz and company. Um, the Washington football team team is playing the New York football giants. The giants are giving two and a half. I mean, again, I thought it was sad for the Cowboys last week that, uh, that they were only given that many points to the bum giants. Imagine being Washington and you're plus against the, against the giants, by the way, Eddie Spaghetti's on board with me on this. You know where Levy and Bell should go. The New York giants. Cause they're there. This division is winnable for any team right now. And if you throw Levy and Bell into the mix, the Giants' offensive line ain't half bad. I actually think Levy and Bell could could help the Giants win a division. How say you, Schwartz? So Eddie's not going to like this, but I think Washington wins this game. I, I pick Washington uh, plus two and a half. I'll, I'll give you a couple reasons why. One is I don't think Alex Smith is going to play, and hopefully not. He did not look very good last weekend, uh, and I hope he, I honestly just hope he just says I'm done playing. Me it, too. It was, All right, it was, it was a great. It's it a was, wonderful inspirational yeah, story, yeah, yeah, but, but it was it's over. Right. Kyle moved the ball okay early in that game, but I get a, a big coaching mismatch, a mismatch here. Right. Uh, I get Ron Rivera against Joe Judge, like, okay, great. I'll take that matchup any day. And we're the biggest mismatch of the entire weekend in any in any matchup is the Washington football team defensive line against the Giants offensive line. That's going to be hell for Daniel Jones, who cannot hold on to the football. So I think it's an ugly game, but I think Washington wins this game. 
I love the total on that one, 42 and a half going against uh, one of Schwartz's cardinal rules of 2020. Always bet the over. I assume you're going to do it here. I love unders. This is, that, this, is the, this is the problem is that I've, I've like stayed away from totals all season. I love betting unders, but you just can't this year. Um, I mean, yeah, 42 seems like you would easily take that bet, but I, I mean – defenses are so bad. I don't don't know how you do it. You and Cousin Sal should go to Vegas or wherever. A couple of douchebags at the uh, at the craps table betting, uh, betting uh, the uh, the don't pass line. That's that's your that's your bit. Where's your sense of fun? No, I no, I bet I bet I bet for the group when I play craps. Okay, all right. You probably Sal. You probably Sal says he. I agree. The the the. The game of craps, which is easily the most entertaining uh, casino game, by the way, twenty one is. Oh, is the yeah. only thing close the to it. But yeah, the the yeah the don't pass is the best one to 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 bet. It is crazy that the entire thing that craps is is predicated. The reason it's a money maker for the casino money maker for the casino is because it's based around humanity's goodwill. Like there's like, wow, well, it would feel wrong to be so negative and bet don't pass. <laughs> but it is easily the best bet to make. Jets, Dolphins. This is a tough one to make. Uh, the Dolphins are are giving nine and a half points to another pro football team. What? I would just i I would bet I don't watch a second of this game. Can we make that bet? Um, <laughs> <laughs> the I mean, eyesore alone, that green with the aqua. It's not going to be. It's, it's going to be ugly. Uh, oh, jeez. I'd have to make a bet. I, I would no, you don't have to. I, Dolphins, yeah, are, Dolphins are going to win this game. I'm not betting this game. Screw somebody, that. Right. Okay. People, yeah. People listen to us, and I really do feel bad to stick our necks out on this one. I don't know. I, what, what, the Dolphins and the Jets? I don't know. How, how do I know if the Dolphins are 10 points better than the Jets? They're two. I mean, the Dolphins are a, an interesting team. They'll, they'll be a player in 2021, I assume, but I don't know. The, the, aren't we right at the edge of Ryan Fitzpatrick's um, perennial decline? Isn't this a game yes. that you could reasonably say that the jet that Fitzpatrick throws three yeah. picks or whatever, and but, or maybe but, this is his last good game before he falls off the, the cliff? The, I don't know where we are. So with that. The Jets are so bad. Yeah. Um, just for fun, because it's a juicy game. Um, the Packers. The Buccaneers, 12 v. 12. We yeah. came close to seeing these two teams playing in a Super Bowl here and there. It's a shame that um, that in all likelihood, I, I mean, I guess it's a guarantee that we're never going to see these two teams play in a Super Bowl at this point. Maybe in January, though, they'll hook back up. In the in the meantime, though, the Buccaneers plus one at home. How say you, Schwartz? Total like 54 and a half. I like the Bucks here because you're getting a great number. This opened at Bucks favored by three. This moved four points, four points because they played a so-so game against the Bears, and Tom Brady held up four fingers because he thought it was the wrong down. Like this is this is crazy to me. Tampa Bay, by the way, is still second in DVOA. Like they're a really good football team. They're really good on defense, and their offensive line had played really well until until Sunday, uh, Thursday, I should say. Uh, didn't play very well. They should bounce back this week. I like Tampa here plus the one. I think, and obviously, I think they win straight out. I feel like there's some real swagger going on with uh, with the green number 12, uh, the king in the north. Uh, I'm going to take uh, Aaron Rodgers and company on a hunch here. I'm with you that the Packers are for real. I think that these are the two best teams in the NFC. Um, 
uh, all due respect to the Seahawks and the Rams who are surprising and so on and so forth. But uh, I'll ride uh, I'll ride against you on that one, Schwartz. And um, so I think we'll wrap it up there because we focused in on the big ones, the biggest ones of all for you to get to FanDuel.com slash minus three again, minus and the number three. Tell everybody again why we're riding with the Ravens and what the what the boost is, Schwartz. Yeah, because the Eagles suck. Um, and Ravens minus seven and a half. We won't go from plus 100 to plus 120. Um, and I just don't think the Eagles are very good. And the Ravens are playing good football right now. And they cover a lot of games. They're, they're 16 and four, their last 20 against the spread. I believe they're nine and four. Uh, their last uh, 13 is a road favorite as well. Uh, so they do a lot of things well. And we made a rule in this podcast, Dave, to not bet on bad teams, even though I'm betting on Washington. I love it. Like, I have no choice because Washington Giants, I mean, you have to choose some team to play there. Um, I, you don't bet on bad teams against good teams. Baltimore is really good. The Phillies are the Phillies. The Eagles are really bad. Give me the Ravens. It's kind of like a yes. I, I'm trying to figure out the metaphor, the simile or whatever the word is for it in English. I'm trying to help my uh, my eighth grade daughter with some of those words. And I went to journalism school and she's like, what's what's the difference between a simile and a metaphor? And I'm like, oh, I know that because I graduate. Well, let me look it up on uh, Google real it's fast. To make sure I, journalism degree. I know. Well, well no, no, listen, uh, um, but yes, it's kind of like sex in the city. Um uh, the 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 one who um, yeah I'm sure I'm sure this analogy is going to work for our audience mate well everybody knows the woman who <laughs> she said the 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 one who made her rounds around New York City she laid down with every yes. man in in the tri-state area in the show by the end of it it was like yeah don't you see because she's the fox she you know she's foxy it's like not by the end of it she's not it's the same effect you're looking at the at, at the Eagles and saying but they won the Super Bowl and Fletcher Cox and Carson Wentz. And Doug Peterson's great. It's like that's not true in 2020. They're the, they're, they're the they're the old woman in uh, in Sex in the City. What you think you're seeing is just a mirage. Did that work? Uh, no, but I appreciate your effort. Yeah, screw you. All right, you know what? Pittsburgh Steelers <laughs> minus three. Schwartz says take the home team in that one. And what what about the total on that one? Fifty one. Um, I was, I lean under, but I, I, again, I don't feel great about it. My favorite part about this weekend, by the way, will be when Dave texts us like Saturday night, Sunday morning, just all nervous for his students. We're going to lose this game. I just know it. And then, and then he's going to, he's going to tell us Sunday. I told you guys they're going to win. That's not mad. That's a completely untrue charge about me. Eddie Spaghetti very quickly as we wrap up here. Chime in. Yeah, this is uh, Sal and Schwartz and some other people on our text chain uh, that we we kibitz around these things every weekend. That's not true. I listen. I wear it. All right. I I I, I I'm not going to apologize for supporting my hometown football collective that has provided me with so many highs and unfortunately some lows. But through thick and thin, I'm there with the Pittsburgh Steelers. And like I say, no apology coming. I get scared about what might happen. And uh, I get excited when I'm proven wrong. That's it, right, Spaghetti? That's yeah. Jeff makes a good point. No, you, don't you make do a bad stick point. With the Steelers. No, he. You do stick with the Steelers, but you do this thing where you pick them, and then you have a couple of days, or you know, some you know, 48, 24 or 48 hours go by, and then you start having the doubt creep in, and then you're like, oh man, I'm really not sure. And then come game time, I think you're back on the Steelers again. So it like it kind of it's the illusion of you playing both sides, but you really don't. Well, it's that's but that's the ero- emotional roller coaster of my brain in general is is the like, uh, you know, I, I'm not uh, I'm not imbued with great confidence about myself or anything else. I, I, I feel like, yeah, maybe this will work out, but I can see why it wouldn't. 
that's kind of my approach to life. I, I'm not one of these people who just plows ahead. That's one of the many reasons why um, I didn't play professional sports. But Jeff Schwartz did, and uh, now he knows what's going to happen. His crystal ball has proven strong. Um, this no, deep into, geez, I can't believe my against the spread number is 22 and 10. It's like doesn't even feel right. That's insane. And you know what? As a matter of fact, I blame Eddie Spaghetti for not celebrating that more. Come on, Spaghetti. You're the it's producer. Okay. You no, gotta, I'd, rather not. I'd rather not celebrate it. Then, then no, no, no. Well, I'm, I'm going to celebrate it. We'll give Jeff a parade at the at, at regular season's end. <laughs> okay. By the way, Spaghetti, you're going to roll with the Giants this week or no? The Giants will have their first win this this uh, this week. Whoa! He's like Joe yeah. Namath. Yeah, it's Lose it's the uh, shirt and lay uh, poolside with uh, surrounded by reporters. Eddie Spaghetti, actually, make that Photoshop of yourself, and I'll uh, I'll put it on social media. Eddie Spaghetti guaranteeing a victory over Washington this week. I mean, the it's not that big of a guarantee. It's an zero and five team beating a terrible team who's stands their top two quarterbacks. It's a miserable situation, but they will win this game. Would you be happy if they sign Levy and Bell? Um, I think Le'Veon Bell, according to him, is looking to sign either in Buffalo or Miami as well as Kansas City. So I don't think the Giants are an option, but I do think it does make sense. Andrew Thomas isn't pretty bad, but other parts of the Giants' O-line have been okay. They're okay and run, their run block win rate isn't miserable. Their pass block win rate is disastrous. If he winds up in Miami, it proves that there were no contenders actually going after him. I think that that's the math for me is that he throws these smoke screens about there's so much, there's a huge market for me out there. His agent, uh, Adisa Bakari throws out there. And then we find out that like, Oh yeah, no, no actual relevant football team was interested in the guy who complains so much. I could see it working out that way. In which case spaghetti will have to go back and lift out the five minute conversation we had about Levy and Bell's fit with the Kansas city uh, chiefs. But anyhow, um, great. Thanks to Mark Sessler. Fun conversation with him as always around the NFL, Jeff Schwartz, Jeff Schwartz is smarter than you and a gaggle of stuff over there at Fox Sports these days. Make sure you're following him. One of the best follows on Twitter um, in pro football season. A lot of people uh, eating up his uh, his insights there. Eddie Spaghetti uh, doing all of his great work. And uh, and I guess that's a wrap on this week's minus three. We'll be back after what week is this even week six now i can't tell any the titans have made me completely forget even what week of football we're in so we'll be back after week six in front of week seven to help you make sense of everything in the best bets in the meantime get in fanduel.com slash minus three on our boosted bet of the week and all other things um until next week then for schwartz spaghetti thanks so much football fans and sports fans in general it's been a thin slice of heaven